Good day. Good day. And thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Lending Tree conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 11 on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star 11 again. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Andrew Wessler, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thanks, Operator. Good morning to everyone joining us on the call to discuss Lending Tree's second quarter 2023 financial results. On the call today are Doug Lebda, Lending Tree's Chairman and CEO, Scott Perry, COO and President of Marketplace Businesses, and Trent Ziegler, CFO. As a reminder to everyone, we posted a detailed letter to shareholders on our investor relations website earlier today, and for the purposes of today's call, we'll assume that listeners have read that letter and we'll focus on Q&A. Before I hand the call over to Doug for his remarks, <clears throat> I remind everyone that during today's call, we may discuss LendingTree's expectations for future performance. Any forward-looking statements that we make are subject to risks and uncertainties, and LendingTree's actual results could differ materially from the views expressed today. Many, but not all, of the risks we face are described in our periodic reports filed with the SEC. We will also discuss a variety of non-GAAP measures on the call today, and I refer you to today's press release and shareholder letter, both available on our website for the comparable GAAP definitions and full reconciliations of non-GAAP measures to GAAP. And with that, Doug, please go ahead. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We earned $27 million of adjusted EBITDA in the second quarter, generating a 15% margin, which was well ahead of our forecast. Our outperformance was due to strong segment margin performance in consumer and insurance, combined with our laser focus on managing operating expenses. Although the revenue environment remains challenging across all three of our segments, our team's work on improving operating efficiency allowed us to meet our VMD forecast. As the second quarter progressed, credit markets broadly tightened across the banking and lending industries, causing demand for many of our lending partners to decline. In home, several mortgage originators were forced to reduce their bids as cost per funded loan had reached levels that were no longer sustainable. Personal and small business lenders broadly tightened their criteria lending further, causing approval rates for our customers to decline. The insurance carriers, we work with, we're, uh, we work with, we're continuing to decrease their marketing budgets as inflationary impacts will require further increases to auto and home premium rates. This revenue degradation continued into, into July and is baked into our, into our updated financial outlook we're providing this morning. That's the bad news. The good news is that these macroeconomic headwinds should prove temporary. We're encouraged that the Fed is signaling it's nearing the end of its campaign to tighten financial conditions with higher interest rates. The pace of of inflation continues to slow. We also recognize that a healthy labor market with historically low unemployment is a key component for lenders to expand their relationships with our customers, want capital markets volatility, and short-term economic uncertainty subside. We We have made changes to adapt to the challenges we're facing. We've focused our management team to capture incremental revenue while improving our expense profile. We have improved our product function and have identified key areas for potential addition, additional savings as a result. 
For example, Scott Topman, our CTO, has taken over personally our data initiative. We've also brought back brought our people back to the office, which has helped us speed decision making and reinforce the entrepreneurial culture that has made us such a successful company historically. In the third quarter, the management team is focused on maintaining cost discipline and identifying areas of incremental revenue growth despite the various headwinds that we've been facing. We're going to release our reimagined and rebranded My Lending Tree platform and continue working on improving the customer experience to drive more engagement with our customers, higher conversion rates, and thus higher unit economics. Before turning the call over to Scott for his comments, I would like to thank J.D. Moriarty for the impact he has had at his time at LendingTree. He helped lead our diversification strategy, completing seven acquisitions in three years, which have helped us remain solidly profitable despite the, the very difficult operating environment that we're facing. I could not be more excited for Scott to assume his additional responsibilities of leading our lending marketplace businesses. Our sales and marketing teams will also report directly to him. His performance as the founder and president of Quote Wizard has been exemplary through multiple cycles, including the current one. He's proven to be an exceptional operator, inspirational leader, and truly embodies the entrepreneurial spirit of lending. We are looking forward to the positive impact he's going to have on our own business moving forward. Scott? Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Um, first off, I'd like to say I'm really excited to take on these expanded responsibilities and looking forward to providing a larger impact to the overall organization. I've spent the last two weeks taking a real deep dive into all the components of the marketplace businesses, and I'm excited to say that both the quality of the people and the number of near-term opportunities that, that I believe exist in the core business. I will be fully focused on improving the operational efficiency and growing the core business of LendingTree, businesses of LendingTree. Um, you know, first off, I really want to build a more cohesive symmetry between the marketing and sales teams as it's critically important for the people developing the product to be working very closely with the people selling the product. Similar to insurance, instead of focusing on clawing every dime of revenue from customers that are already under budget constraints, we'll be focusing on providing the highest quality, highest intent consumers, and then focusing on monetizing efforts around those consumers. Um, you know, Quote Wizard, as we've seen, even due to macro headwinds in the industry, we're currently driving the highest quality traffic at the highest VMM margins in our company history. I fully believe we can do that across the board in all of our business units. Um, in insurance, we're actually doing more V&D year over year over significantly lower revenue, as you can see in the numbers. Um, I'm a big believer in having a maniacal focus on a small number of things that are the most impactful to the business. It's already becoming clear to me what some of those things and those items are, and we are actively focusing our resources towards accomplishing those items to quickly get some wins on the board. Uh, finally, we will have a relentless focus on operational efficiency, velocity of decision-making, turning big projects into small projects, challenging long-held assumptions, focusing on understanding the sizes of opportunities before committing resources, et cetera, et cetera. We will have an aggressive, offensive stance going forward, which will have a big impact on our productivity. Thank you. And now, operator, I'd be happy to open the call for questions. Great. Thank you. Thank you. We will now step the question and answer session. As a reminder, to ask questions, please press star 11 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. 
To withdraw your question, press star 1-1 again. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Please stand by. Our first question comes from Ryan from KBW. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, clearly, the hope is that the revenue environment inevitably improves. You know, but given the importance of navigating the upcoming maturities, maybe you could provide a bit more detail on the different options you're thinking about for addressing the convert uh, that goes current next year. Do you feel like the current free cash flow and EBITDA profile of a business can support that? And I guess on the expense side, are there additional levers you could pull if needed in this scenario that the revenue environment doesn't go your way? Um, I'll open up broadly and then let uh, uh, Trent uh, give you the details. Um, obviously, this is something that we are very, very focused on. Um, and um, we have had a number of conversations internally. We have a number of options um, that we are exploring. Um, I don't know how much of those details we want to uh, talk about, but to the extent of other levers, uh, the answer is yes. Um, you know, we do have discretionary product uh, investments that I've talked about that if they, you know, things, you know, do not bear fruit, you can certainly make changes there. So, yes, there are other cost levers you can do. Um, uh, right now, we want to maintain you know, balance between, um, you know, a few focused, a small, you know, investment initiative, you know, investment into initiatives around data customer experience because we think they're um, core to the business. But at the same time, you know, we're incredibly judicious with that. But uh, suffice it to say, um, we are very, very, very focused on that maturity, and um, you know, would hope to be um, you know, refinancing it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think Doug, Doug covered it well. We're we're obviously laser focused on it. We're exploring a bunch of of alternative options available to us. Um, you know, I think the the good news is we take some solace in the, in the fact that there's we have four quarters left before that maturity comes current. We've got um, eight quarters left before it actually matures, um, and so you know we're weighing all of our options relative to the performance of the business. Obviously the the options available to us to get a little bit better should performance improve. Um, and, and, you know, I think we have some reason to believe that as, as we get a little bit more certainty around the macro, um, there, there's good reason to believe that the insurance um, backdrop could turn a little bit as we head into next year. You know, some stability in some of our consumer businesses should provide some upside. Uh, and so we're weighing, we're weighing all of those alternatives relative to the performance in the business. Yeah, and the only thing I'd add is if in, in an environment like this where um, your um, union economics on the revenue side, you know, whether it's the cover, uh, the price lenders want to pay, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the amount of volume or the coverage of how wide they're willing to go, um, as all of that has gone negative and we've gotten sharper and sharper and sharper on the marketing side, particularly in insurance, and Scott just talked about bringing that to the lending side, the the business you know, and and the margin profile increases, um, 
when you get any sort of tailwind on the other side, whether it's a conversion rate increase through a product improvement, whether it's, um, you know, lenders expanding demand in some way, um, that margin tends to stick. Um, so obviously sometime in the next many quarters, we're going to have to be improving our financial profile so that uh, people are going to want want to lend money to us, but we are laser, laser focused on that while Trent's also working on his financial, his financial uh, uh, options as well. Thanks. Appreciate all that, color. I, I guess on the guidance, um, the revised guide looks like it implies second half EBITDA of around 30 to 40 million by our math round numbers, uh, 60 to 80 million annualized, and I, it looks like the implied 4Q EBITDA guide is is at the low end of that range on an annualized basis. I guess should we think about that as kind of the run rate EBITDA power as things stand here for the business today, and are there key variables that could move the needle in the second half relative to the guidance that you'd call out specifically? Well, I guess what's what's we're calling out relative to that would be, you know, obviously we're like the, the revenue challenges are are real and we're seeing those and, I, and that's probably not a surprise to anybody given the headlines around, um, you know, more is the worst mortgage environment in 20 years. Um, we've talked about home equity as a relative source of strength within that. That's, you know, starting to be a little bit more challenging as rates continue to go higher. That's becoming less attractive for consumers. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why we've had to pull down our revenue outlook for the rest of the year. What I would say is, is we are forecasting similar seasonal declines in Q4. Q4 is always a seasonally much slower um, period for us, and I think there is a little bit of uncertainty as to how much does that seasonal effect um, show up in a year where sort of the baseline is already beaten up a little bit. Right, and, and so we're, we're certainly taking a conservative stance with regard to, um, you know, forecasting those trends through the through the rest of the year and then the fourth quarter in particular. Yeah, the way I um, just to add on a little bit, and I think of uh, you know Q2 is a, you know, a solid quarter, um, you know, not where it historically has been, but call it fairly you know normal. Um, Q3, um, as we talked about. You're seeing some pullbacks from lenders that we do not believe are, you know, institutionalized in the market. It's not like our product doesn't work. It's not like the buyers aren't there. It's literally just that, you know, they just just like we won't, you know, bid on Google search terms past the point of profitability. Lenders do the same thing with us, so we don't see that clearly as permanent. The other thing that um, we take some comfort in is when we talk to lenders about what they're doing with us vis-a-vis competitors. We feel like, you know, we're generally speaking one of the last uh, places that they turn off um, or that they pull back on. Um, and then Q4, as Trent said, is seasonal, is a seasonal downturn. Uh, typically in our industry, people, uh, you know, consumers in general are not thinking about financial services in Q4. Um, and then they really think about it in Q1. So, um, no, I wouldn't take this as a, as, a, as the ongoing run rate. Yeah, the, the short answer to that question is I think Q3 is probably a better baseline to Sorry. use as your run rate. Q3, Q3 is, is a better baseline than Q4 as you look at kind of how you model it into next year. 
Great. Thanks for taking the questions. Okay. Let me queue up the next question. Our next question comes from Jed Kelly from the Oppenheimer and Company. Hey, great, great. Hey, thanks for taking my question. Just, just circling back on the insurance segment, sh should we expect this margin profile you're seeing to continue as, as demand from the carriers is um, depressed? And then just looking at, you know, the insurance marketing segment in general, Scott, you know, there's there's quite a few of the of marketplaces that participate in this business. You know, are all of them going to be able to survive as this continues to get pushed out, or do you see some type of consolidation, you know, happening in the industry? Just can you touch on how you think these um, these headwinds are going to affect the, you know some of your competitors? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jed. Um, I'll start w with the margins. Yeah, in a compressed market, we would expect our margins to remain high because just like I mentioned earlier, we're just focusing on the highest quality, highest intent um, consumers for our clients with the limited budgets they have. And honestly, their you know, our competitors' advertising is very suppressed. Our direct clients, like they're not spending any money directly with with a lot of places they historically do. So, so the traffic, you know. Being that we're focusing, we're not spreading our spend out and our monetization out like thin like butter. Like we're focusing in the right areas, so we would expect our margins to stay today good. Now, when the budgets start coming back in 24, then you know margins might be start getting compressed a little bit as the marketplaces get more competitive. But that said, we'll be very conscientious about total VMD dollars going up significantly, which we think we're really well positioned. For that, at when the budgets start coming back, which I do expect them to start coming back in early 24. Um, now that kind of leads into your final question um, of the competitors, and yeah, I. Long story short, is there will be a number of players that don't survive this. Um, there's a number of, you know, I would almost say you start with the smaller marketing affiliates that maybe aren't as well known out there, but that do go out and kind of clog up the market. Marketplaces a little bit. Those guys have been hit really hard, and some of them have exited the marketplaces. Uh, you know, like the SEM marketplaces, for example. And I don't know if they'll ever come back um, into those marketplaces. You know, so some of you know some of them will just disappear. Some of them might get consolidated um, into some of the bigger players. You know, I, I don't know if any of the big players, ourselves included, are, are, are out looking to actively look to buy any of these guys without getting an absolute screaming deal out of it. Um, but I do think when we get into next year, similar to the 2016 downturn, there's going to be a lot fewer players in the marketplace, which does create a Goldilocks scenario um, for, for a performance marketing company. And then just, just as a follow-up, Scott, you know, what is the team looking at, you know, is it interest rate stabilizing, supply chain stabilizing that gives you confidence that the carriers are going to get their uh, profitability, underwriting and profitability under control? Insurance is not interest rate as much as it is inflation. That's the insurance company's problem. Um, and so they need in inflation because right now, for, for the past, what, 18 months, they have not been able to keep their – rate increases at the pace of how inflation has been going. And inflation, in, as well publicized in the auto insurance industry for car repairs and whatnot, has been even higher 
than the overall CPI, um, and it still is quite a bit higher. But that all said, it, it is starting to cool down, and there is positive signs, you know, used car prices, cost of car repairs. It's starting to normalize um, and come down. So that, e- that equation where they can't catch up to inflation is, is now starting to change, where the rate increases, Inflation is starting to stabilize in the car insurance industry, and the rate increases keep happening. So sooner or later, those lines will cross, and they will get back to a profitable combined ratio scenario. And so then, you combine, and so then you know, the big hope with a lot of these carriers is that they're feeling in a really good spot by the end of 23 when the budget cycle switched to 24, that they're feeling that all the policies they're bringing on or profitable policies they're bringing on, and they reset their budgets going into 24. And based on their confidence level, um, you know, they, they can get aggressive really quick. Um, but, but the big driving factor is inflation stabilizing. Yeah, and we were uh, uh, talking about this yesterday. We were talking about this yesterday at our uh, board meeting, and Scott had the point of uh, the combined ratio, but also that it varies state by state and the number of your large states – you know, where, uh, you know, for example, California, um, that, uh, you know, state by state, uh, things too, where insurance carriers, if they're not going to make money, you know, they're not going to go market to originate that policy for sure. And that's the same thing you see, uh, with the lenders. And, um, so, you know, with the, when rates stabilize, um, and inflation stabilizes, in some ways those are both intertwined. You know, we feel like we're going to be a much sharper company and uh, uh, and be ready to roll. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by. Our next company, our next question comes from Yousef Squally from Truist Securities. Please go ahead. All right. Good morning, guys. Um, thank you for taking the question. So maybe a quick one for Doug and one for Trent. So, Doug, obviously anybody looking at Tree right now, uh, they're looking past um, the second half of the year. They're looking into 24 and beyond. Knowing what you know today, what kind of segments uh, or what segments, sorry, do you, do you see kind of coming back? First, um, and what are the, the kind of indicators or gating factors that you're kind of uh, watching um, for that turnaround? And then, Trent, um, you know, good job on, on the operating efficiencies that you've shown against a pretty tough top line. But how much of that operating cost efficiency do you think you can maintain uh, maybe into next year as revenues come back? All right. Um, I'll take the uh, first one. I would say um, in this order, I think you'll see um, insurance come back first. Um, I, I think you'll see probably consumer come back second. Um, and I think you'll see home come back third. Um, and, um, and by the way, like the, uh, you know, I think as you think about it, those are you know, also in order of probably uh, rather the, the most the biggest opportunities as well for, for revenue and profit contribution. Um, the uh, insurance business, Scott's covered. That's that's a fact of simply insurance companies being able to underwrite 
um, get their rates higher so they can underwrite appropriately and profitably. Um, consumer, keep in mind that many of the personal loan lenders, or pretty much most of them, are you know um, either marketplace lenders or correspondent lenders that are ba- that are selling funds directly into the capital markets. So as the capital markets are tighter, which we all know what the Fed's doing, that's going to hurt there. But that air hose snaps that, you know, that uh, capital markets have stepped on that air hose from time to time with us, but it always bounces back. Um, and then the home business, um, right now you've got, you know, um, refinancing obviously doesn't make sense for anybody. Um, and in the purchase market, you know, home buying and selling is not uh, what, what it would be given um, high rates and, you know, buyers and sellers really kind of staring at each other in that market. Um, And then I would say underlying all of that is us trying to improve our consumer experience, which improves improves conversion rates, which, you know, makes the whole business profitable. I think insurance, consumer, and home. And then the other thing that we really monitor, as I said before, is like if we're gaining share or maintaining share versus competitors, um, you know, that's, um, you know, that's important too. I won't say it's perfect in every one of those, but I, I, I do know that I feel really good, um, from the standpoint of our partnerships, um, the, uh, efficacy of the model and lenders just want to do business with us and they're telling us, you know, this is, it's an economic thing right now and, um, you know, they'll be back. Yeah. And then Yusuf on the, the operating efficiency point. I mean, I think what we've seen is, you know, we've, we've taken a lot of steps over the last 12, you know, six to 12 months to simplify the business in many respects. Um, as Doug noted earlier, like, candidly, we still have some discretionary investment going on, right, that um, that we could choose to dial back if, if the situation warranted. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I think we've seen as a result of, of leaning out and getting more focused and efficient, we're already operating better and faster um, and on more on fewer focused things, right? And so, you know, as the revenue opportunity comes back looking into next year, there's not a need to continue to staff up considerably against that revenue backdrop. Um, I don't see our OPEX growing materially at all as we look into next year. So I'll tell you just a wonk out on the, on one change that we made internally, which is, you know, most companies you might uh, set uh, goals and OKRs at the beginning of the year, probably do it in November, and then by January, February, in a highly changing environment, they're pretty much irrelevant. Uh, we've moved to a quarterly cycle and to the, to the fewer points comment. Everybody in the company is responsible for three to five things that you're going to, you know, make sure that you deliver on um, in the next three months. Uh, I mentioned the last quarter we did that with our uh, how we do product. By the way, we've also brought on you know a lot of new management um, and made a lot of changes to make us sharper as well too. Um, but uh, that quarterly cycle enables us to pivot, um, enables us to look at each one of our initiatives. Say okay, like you know this one's working, that one's not. This one's behind. All right, let's shift personnel over here. The market's changed. Let's double down over there. So it's enabled us to be much more nimble, um, and uh, we're doing a lot more with um, with 
individualized, focused teams that are cross-functional that can make all their decisions. So Scott was alluding to, too, just getting faster, a lot of that um, all goes into it. We're really, really trying to improve the way we do operations and uh, at this company. Great. Thank you, and good luck. Thank you. Please stand by. Our next question comes from John Campbell from Steffens Incorporated. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Good morning. Morning, John. Hey, and, you know, Trent, and I think in the past you've talked to the belief that, you know, you can return the business back to high teens or kind of possibly, you know, 20% type EBITDA margins. You guys are obviously there in the past. You're, you're going to need, a, you know, a degree of a rebound in the top line, I'm sure, for that better leverage. But, you know, you've taken a lot of steep cost cuts. Uh, it sounds like, you you know, there's going to be a little bit more in that in the back half. And, Trent, I think you said that maybe very modest, if any, OPEX growth next year. But maybe if you guys can talk about how you're feeling about that margin target now and maybe what type of top line you think you might need to get back to those past margin levels. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks, John. I mean, uh, look, we, we hit 15% EBITDA margins in the second quarter. Um, uh, that's a level that we hadn't been at in quite some time, and, and that's against a pretty bleak revenue backdrop. Uh, you know, obviously the, the revenue trend continues to, um, to work against us in the back half of, of this year, but that, I think we have reconfigured the, the cost structure of the business in such a way that um, any rebound in the top line should result in us getting back to mid to high teens EBITDA margins in the not-too-distant future. Um, I, I don't think it would take much. Yeah, I, I'll just add in there. I mean, it, it just for specific examples, going to insurance is, you know, some of our largest clients, which we, when they come back and they start spending significant budget again with us, it, we don't have to hire a bunch of people or anything. We don't have, you know, we, we have the same account managers. We have the same marketers. We're just generating more revenue and VMD over the same cost basis. So as, as Trent alluded to in an earlier question, I believe across all the industries we're in, we, we can see significant revenue and VMD growth without the need for OPEX growth for quite some time. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then on homes, you know, I, I saw in the shareholder letter you guys called out the 11% decline in HELOC and just kind of triangulating that, or at least on my math, I'm showing that mortgage would be down maybe 15 20% or so sequentially. Um, you know, the industry, it looks like, was actually up 40%. That's just with seasonality. Um, I'm guessing you guys maybe just kind of de-emphasize that from the VMM standpoint. So any kind of color you can provide there. And then also, uh, don't want to put your feet to the fire, but, it, it, I mean, is it potentially, do you, do you feel like this could be the trough um, for homes or maybe just mortgage uh, with the two key results? Um, so, <sighs> God, picking the trough. Um, listen, we – we hope so, and at the same time, um, you know, mortgage lenders are taking capacity. From an industry standpoint, like it, um, and in channel checks, et cetera, it feels like um, purchase is poised to do better, and rates are gonna, and the, and the mortgage rates seem to not be rising. The flip side of that would be. Some lenders are taking, uh, and I think you'll hear from it from public, you know, some lenders are doing layoffs and pulling back on capacity. So from the standpoint of, you know, it, uh, 
the price they're willing to pay, the quantity they want, and the coverage, and the demand equation, um, their capacity, you know, we're, we're I want to make sure we're not going to see reductions in capacity, um, which would reduce the demand equation. Now, that said, flip side of that is one of the things that, you know, we're going to do aggressively, particularly with Scott coming in here, is um, um, really get out at, and see our clients, plan with them, um, you know, um, and be much more closer to them over this period of time, uh, personally for both Scott and me and the rest of the team. So, you know, I, th I expect some, you know, just operational wins there. Scott, anything to add? Yeah, I would add in also just, I mean, you look at the refi market, I mean, I would say that's probably, that has fallen off dramatically. And, and and I would say you're probably at a tropical. We might be at the tropical a little bit, but what I would add there is you think about it, every month there's a lot of consumers out there purchasing homes at very high interest rates. So, that, I mean, that's happening every month right now this year. And so it doesn't – if you look into early next year and you could theoretically see maybe a, some mortgage rates start to drop a little bit, and so you have – you will have this ingrained user base of consumers of the bot homes this year um, that will be actively looking to refi with any drop in interest rates at all. So so, so that could be a, a start of a little bit of a benefit next year um, from, from a, from a you know, compare and say, you know, company like ours. The only other comment I'd make inside of our product development initiatives, and Owen uh, is doing a fantastic job at, at, at taken over product, we're, we're focused on um, purchase conversion rates. Now, as many of you know, that's been uh, an age-old challenge at LendingTree, how to crack that code, but uh, we are working on it and um, hope to see some progress. Great. Please stand by. Our next question comes from Melissa from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions today. Um, first, I wanted to follow up on the revised guidance um, and just kind of comparing EBITDA margins from the most recent quarter, which, um, Trent, you noted were in the mid-teens. Just sort of implied in the back half, you're, you're guiding to margins in the low double digits, so a couple hundred bips lower than to key levels, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. Is it just sort of embedded conservatism and guidance driving that or something else that you're seeing? No, it's just the magnitude of the kind of compressed revenue in the back half of the year. Um, you know, we, we assume that we have done most of the work on the cost structure in the first half of this year, um, kind of the quarterly OPEX levels, we expect to remain relatively consistent uh, through the back half of the, of the year to where they were in Q2. Um, but obviously, as, as your revenue trails off, that's going to impact your EBITDA margin. I mean, they, in the core gross margins or VMMs, we actually do expect to see a little bit of improvement there um, in a couple of segments. Uh, it's just not quite enough to offset the, um, you know, the magnitude of the decline in the revenue guide. By the way, one uh, thing I'd add on the margin front, uh, we did a little um, 
math calculation here that, uh, for a prior question of how much would you need to get to 20% EBITDA margin if on Q2, it's roughly you need $10 more million of EMD. And if we could do that at a 50% VMM margin, you know, you need $20 million in revenue in the quarter. That's not a, um, you know, that is not a long putt. And it, um, I can't tell you when we're going to do it, but I can tell you we're going to get there because I can tell you we've been there before. And typically when, you know, the company has come back from the two other, you know, significant financial dislocations and come back, back bigger and stronger with more, with more share. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Um, follow-up question on a couple of the categories within consumer. Um, if we're looking at things right, it looks like there is a little bit of a sequential increase in card in terms of revenue um, in card and personal loan. And just wanted to understand if um, how you attribute that. Is it mostly? Uh, do you think some, is there some seasonality in that number? Or are you starting to see you know sort of tree qual payoff? What what do you what's driving that? Yeah, on, on card in particular, uh, we talked last quarter about how we migrated to a sort of a new and improved foundational platform on which we operate that business. That has enabled us to better leverage the lending tree proper domain, right? You recall we, we acquired the Compare Cards business back in 2016, 2017, and, and that has been the primary, you know, sort of Activity, like most of the activity in, in the card business for us has run through that domain. Um, there's a lot of value in us migrating some of that activity and some of that traffic over to the lending tree domain to capture emails and, and repeat business and things like that. And so we're, we're seeing that bear fruit. And so you saw a slight uptick in, in not only revenue, um, but a relatively pronounced uptick in, in the margin profile of that business, uh, in Q2. And we expect that to continue to, um, you know, progress forward through the back half of the year. That's that's probably one of the bright spots within consumer, um, and that continues to be an end market that is, you know, sort of more healthy relative to, to some of the other businesses. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. If I just add on there, yeah, that you know, Lightspeed was the name of the platform and migrated it too, but it was that did have a significant impact on funnel throughput, funnel performance, uh, conversion rates of our consumers, which, which helped have an immediate bump. And uh, marketing efficiency, but what I would add on to that, I, I believe in the next few quarters is going to continue because we needed that new platform conversion to happen, and now we're doing a lot of continued testing and increased uh, funnel optimization and throughput and, and opti- optimizing result sets uh, for consumers and better matches. And so I, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the credit card business for us you know, in the coming quarters, uh, a big part of that was that platform migration that needed to happen. Yeah, I would uh, only add um, Lightspeed's a great example of us uh, having a team, getting product right, getting that up and running. That helps our existing uh, credit card click-out business. Um, and you mentioned TreeQual. I would say we've been – uh, talking about tree qual and beavering a tree qual for a long time, uh, which I would say is something that we're all very mindful of. Uh, the flip side of that is um, we've made some some pivots in the product and how we're working with lenders, um, and so we you know, hate to say we expect that to bear fruit shortly uh, or soon in the future, but we're. Um, we're, we're getting more lender receptivity to it. And then the biggest challenge you 
find is that we need the lenders uh, work with us too. So a little bit of a catch-22 that you got to go to major card issuers, get them to work on a tech project with you um, when you're also a small business for them. But we're you know we're uh, we're we're slogging and having some success. Now when that hits, we expect it to have a big impact. That that will be a you know a, a one-time event whenever we get it done. Got it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Please stand by. Our next question comes from Chris Kennedy from William Blair. Good morning. Thanks for taking the question. Just wanted to follow up on the efforts to improve the conversion rates. Doug, you just mentioned a few of them, but can you just dive a little bit more into the initiatives and how they're going relative to your expectations? Um, so I, I'm mindful of, uh, of competitive um, things here, so let me hit it overall. Um, obviously, we talked about tree quality. So if you, if you look at a conversion funnel in a performance marketing company, you you have to see where the the biggest leak is, and then you go try to plug the leak. And um, credit cards, it's approval rate, and that's because we don't gather a lot of your information, and we click out uh, click you out, and um, and there's a pretty low re approval rate on those. You also have in that business, which all the competitors have, the fact that people are seeking for credit, seeking credit. So you have to get more pre-approved data so that um, you're making offers to consumers that they're going to get. Um, as I, and I just talked about that one. The, the other uh, series of teams are working on um, close rates from lead to fund um, in the, uh, mostly in the mortgage space, well, in the mortgage space. And there, what we're trying, what you're doing is, and i uh, for those of you who might be new, you think about the act of getting a home loan um, or getting a small business loan. Um, that doesn't happen in one sitting. Um, and we need to enhance our CRM capabilities and um, be more interactive with the lender so that uh, so that you're not just getting a one-time offer from lending tree and then getting barraged with phone calls um, we are working right the the change that we've made in how we're working with lenders is we actually now uh, leverage our lender advisory council to have um, a smaller group of lenders that works with us on a test basis in a managed marketplace. So it's very, very collaborative and co-creating with them. Um, so I expect that to that to bear fruit. Um, now, the good news about these is um, while we're evaluating every quarter and we're pivoting, now well, the last one I would say is my lending tree, which is important. And there it's about improving engagement and our offers platform so that we can um, um, so that we can give you much more personalized alerts. And that work is underway. Um, underlying a lot of this is a technical change that we have in what we call our offers platform. So today, um, if you're making changes to the pages where you're seeing your offers and interacting with lenders, it's very rigid. 
Uh, we're um, moving that very shortly to a system that we've been working on uh, for almost about a year, I'd, a year, I'd say, uh, that's going to make that much more flexible. And the last thing I'd say about all of this, um, we don't need them to pay off tomorrow. Um, any one of these that hits would have a change when it gets, when it works. Um, and if they don't work, as Trent said, we got some, we got a lot of discretionary, uh, money that we're spending. Um, and as things like light speed get done, um, then we can shift those resources to work on something else. Yeah, very helpful. And then just to follow up to that, what type of time frame are you kind of envisioning in order to make that ultimate decision whether they're working or not. Thanks for taking the question. Oh, yeah, so uh, uh, so in our new, uh, in, in the way we're doing product now, as I said, we've got the dedicated cross-functional teams on anything that we deem a tech product initiative. Um, and they have quarterly OKRs against each one of them. Um, and I'll tell you one of the other things that I, and, and, and you know, they not everybody hits them every quarter, but you go through a, review, a product review process, um, and we are making adjustments every quarter. Um, sometimes it's keep going, you're hitting your marks. Sometimes it's we need you to raise the bar. Sometimes it's we need you to, uh, uh, we're going to shut this thing down. And um, that's just the way you do it. With it, we, we need Lending Tree to be a great product and tech organization. And with our leadership now, Scott Topman and Owen, I feel like uh, um, I feel like we've really got it. Yeah, and I just get throwing one specific. You know, the personal loans uh, offers platform, which is you know we've seen the success on credit cards, and we're now all hands on deck. We know there's a lot of opportunity in personal loans. I'm, I'm getting that offers platform converted over uh, what should happen sooner rather than later. And, you know, honestly, as we look at it, you know, since those are all essentially pre-approved offers that we're putting to the consumers, so having better algorithms for better matches and making sure, like, the top listings have the highest potential for a consumer getting a funded loan, there's a lot of good work we can do there that will have an immediate and iterative, constantly, continually improving impact on more revenue for consumer, and at the same time, giving them better matches so they're get, getting funded loans at a, you know easy, you know in an easier method. So I mean, we're we're pretty excited that some of this stuff can ha have impact sooner rather than later. Great, thank you. Great, please stand by. Our next question comes from Rob Wildhack. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, on home, do you have a, a number in mind for how far mortgage rates would have to come down? Maybe it's to 5% or 4.5% before there's a uh, healthy refinance opportunity again? Um, no, I don't. And I tell you to go look at the NBA forecast, but in almost 30 years of doing this, like, um, you know, they're, they're directionally right and sometimes hard to be precise. So but the good news about what I will say, though, about refinance um, is there's actually, um, I would say, almost always, except at times like this, you do have a decent level of 
refinance activity. You have people who have adjustable rate mortgages coming due. Uh, you have uh, people whose credit scores improve. Um, you have people whose values go up and they want uh, cash out to go do something or pay off other debts. So um, all we're, you know, right now it's just that um, the borrower benefit to a refinance isn't there. But like if you go get a mortgage at 7% or you get it at 9% because your credit's not great, um, you know, when that gets to six and a half, you know, there's savings in it for you. And um, um, so I think, um, you know, you just need to start seeing a tick down, but even really a stabilization, I think, would um, would see more refinance business. But what I will tell you is, man, oh, man, we are like storing mortgages um, that, you know, as rates do come down, um, it uh, you've got a lot of refinance business stacked up. And you and the industry in general has gotten more efficient. So I'd expect, you know, throughput to be better because technology improvements are happening in the background as everybody's trying to be as efficient as they can. And those efficiencies are going to stick when, uh, um, you know, when the market gets uh, starts to grow. Thanks, Doug. Some, uh, yeah, some of the uh, some of the top like mortgage economists right now so far, are looking for a pretty healthy mortgage industry next year. Got it. Thanks, Doug. And then maybe one more for Scott. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, insurance carriers getting profitable towards year-end, resetting budgets into 24. Can, can we interpret that as a base case kind of outlook here? It takes carriers another three to six months before they can start thinking about growth again? Yeah, I would say that's a base case scenario. You know, the I think, you know, if I'm being completely honest, a lot of the carriers have pretty much written off 23, and, and they're in survival mode in 23. I, I mean, I, I feel like there's, there has been stabilization. I want to be very cautious about, you know, saying it's completely stable at this point. But, I mean, I, I where I sit today, I feel like kind of June was a low point. We've even had July, we're, you know, we're learning better than June, which, which is positive. And there are a number of carriers and con- big consumer name brands that are that have, have increased budgets with us in July, um, not dramatically, but that's just a good sign that they're not continuing to cut. Um, they feel like there's a stabilization. But I think when you're talking about significant major increases in marketing budget, it's probably going to happen at the turn of the year when their annual budget cycles shift to, to, a, new, to a new calendar year. Makes sense. Thanks. Great. Please stand by. And our final question comes from Mike Grondahl from Northland. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, Doug, you mentioned some lenders pulled back in 3Q, or, or that's what you're seeing. Which verticals did they pull back the most? Which ones did they pull back the least? Um, so first off, we weren't talking uh, 3Q. We were, talk, uh, uh, just, we were talking about the end of uh, Q2. Um, and um, in um, trying to you take most and least, I would say, you know, in mortgage, um, you had a, you know, 
a select number of lenders who, quote, pulled back by reducing um, the price they're willing to pay. So remember, lenders set, you know, bids and lending for the blue set them in Google. Um, and um, that obviously impacts the revenue profile. And in personal loans, the quote-unquote pullback isn't like, I don't want less volume. It's I need a tighter credit box um, to be able to sell those loans. In terms of relative size, Trent, any? Yeah, order of magnitude, I'd say um, some of the price concessions or, or, you know, bid reductions that we've seen in home are probably the most pronounced. We've seen a handful of smaller ones in personal loans, um, onesie twosies in, um, in small business. Got it. And then, Trent, have you disclosed or, or kind of put brackets around what the discretionary spend bucket is in 23? No, not yet. I mean, it's, um, you know, in the zip code of 5 to 10% of the cost structure. Got it. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. I'm, go ahead. I'm showing no further questions at this time. I'd now like to turn the conference back to Doug LeBall, CEO. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you all very much uh, for, uh, again, for being here today. Thank you uh, very much for your questions. I just want to reassure shareholders that uh, while I know this has been a uh, a long, uh, dark winter during the uh, COVID season, I want you to know that we, uh, we get the situation and we are on it and we are uh, making changes um, at all levels, as hopefully you can see, uh, to address it. Our company is now smaller, we're leaner, we're faster. Uh, and we're more in person that's making us operate more effectively. Uh, we are incredibly mindful of our balance sheet, um, not only as a management team, but I can also tell you as all of us being shareholders and me being a significant shareholder, we are in that boat with you, and we are going to uh, manage that um, and, uh, and, improve our, and improve our financial profile and make sure that that can be handled. Uh, we believe our market position is very solid. Um, as, as one of the leaders in this space, um, it is much harder on smaller, smaller mar, uh, marketplaces than it is on us. Uh, and so we continue to improve our market position, hopefully consolidate share, um, be sharper and higher margin um, with a better margin profile so we're, that we can capture any incremental revenue improvement with much more of it falling to the bottom line. Uh, we're going to focus this quarter on just continuing to provide great value for our clients, as Scott hit on, uh, across all of our segments. Uh, that is the key uh, on one side of the marketplace. And on the other, uh, we talked about the initiatives underway to improve the relationship with our customers. Uh, those are hard problems to solve, but we are making progress. Thank you very much uh, for your belief in our company, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next quarter. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.